0: And ladies and gentlemen, if you are in in Colossians chapter 1, please turn to verse 21. Jess, you got a signal, bud? Okay, here we go. So um, for those of you that are visiting, just to set the scene of what we're doing, uh, we've been having a look at Colossians. We've been singing about Jesus this morning. We've been singing about Jesus as the most beautiful one, the Savior of all, the giver of life, the great rescuer. Aren't you glad that Jesus rescued you? I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. Uh, If he didn't rescue me, my life would look very, very different. And I don't know if you've just thought about that or considered that, how different your life could be if Jesus hadn't plucked you out of darkness and put you into light. Anyone thought about that? It's an amazing thing to just consider and think about. And here we've reached this point in our letter now where, where Paul has been speaking about these amazing big things. Jesus the Redeemer, Jesus the Creator, Jesus the Great Rescuer. And now he focuses down not just so much in terms of the big thing that Jesus has done, but he starts to fo- focus in verse 21 on the incredible thing that Jesus does for individual people. And this is often how Paul teaches. If you read any of his letters, you'll see he f- starts with the big thing that God has done. It begins with the theology. And for all of you that think you're not theologians, I want to say you are. As soon as you've got an opinion about suffering, as soon as you've got an opinion about evil in the world, you are engaging with God on a very basic level, and you are an amateur theologian. Right? So don't let people tell you that theology doesn't matter. It matters very, very much. In terms of how we see the world, how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we see each other. All right? And so here Paul has been helping these Colossians see the big thing about what Jesus has done for, uh, for, in terms of creation and redemption and uh, reconciling all things to himself. And now he narrows it down and he starts talking about what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for me. And this is the incredible portion that we're going to read this morning. And I've called this The Big If... Because there is a big if in the middle here, and we're going to look at the big if. And so, Jess, if you can put it up, it says this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, Just to remind you, you can stay on the map there, Jess, for one sec. Uh, Remember Colossia uh, in the middle of Asia Minor? Turkey, modern-day Turkey, probably planted the church from Ephesus. You see there, Ephesus. Paul Um, And Epaphras spent three years in Ephesus teaching the church there. And it's most likely that Epaphras was the one that went from Ephesus to his hometown of Colossia and he planted this church. And now towards the end of Paul's life, when he's in jail, when he's in prison in Rome, Epaphras comes back to him and says, Paul, there's a couple of problems in the church. Can you help me? And so he writes this letter to the Colossians. And we've talked about that over the last eight weeks. All right. So here we're arriving now at verse 21. And Paul says this, And you speaking to the Christians, speaking to all those in, in the Colossian church, you who were once alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil, evil deeds, He, Jesus, has now reconciled in His body of flesh in His death, by His death in order to present you, that's every Christian, holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, that is the Father. And here's the big if. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to do my best to encourage you, all right? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the richness of your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here, and that your promises that you would lead us into all truth. And so thank you, Lord, for the truth that we've sung about in our worship. Thank you for the truth that came to us through Helen's prophetic encouragement. Thank you for the truth of your word now, which wants to come and renew our hearts, restore our minds, refresh us in every way. And I pray, Lord, that as I preach this morning, as I share my heart, that you would encourage every single person here. Lord, that's my desire, that people might find more more of you in their lives and know you more intimately than they do already. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so like I said, Paul has been addressing these big themes in the first chapter. Jesus the great rescuer. Jesus the creator of all things. And now he starts to speak about how the same creator creator of all is active in every single Christian's life. And remember the whole theme of this letter is the supremacy, this great supremacy of Jesus. And Paul is trying to paint this amazing portrait of who Christ is. I find that fascinating that Paul, when he's trying to deal with people that disagree with him, he doesn't major on their behavior. He doesn't get all angry with them and say, stop doing that. Why do you live like that? First of all, what he does in all of his letters, Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, he lifts up Jesus and he he proclaims Jesus as the supreme one. He proclaims Jesus as the holy one, the most beautiful one. He says, when you start to understand that, my friends, you start to live right. And so my desire in this church I, I, I hope that you behave well. I hope that you're honest. I hope that you pay your taxes. I hope that you love your wife. I hope that you keep yourself sexually pure. I hope you do all of those things. Why? Because I hope you are a worshiper of Jesus. When you are a worshiper of Jesus, you do all those things automatically. You don't need a preacher to scold you every Sunday. Of course not. My job is not to scold people. My job is to paint a picture of Jesus that grips your heart and impassions you and that you just want to love Him with all of your heart. And once you start doing that, you start to live differently, my friends. This is what Paul does. And so Paul is painting this beautiful picture of Jesus. And now he says this is what Jesus has done for every single one of you. And like Paul does often, he starts with three things, and it's very simple. He reminds them of their past. He reminds them of the present and he reminds them of the future. That's what he does. And he says this, "Um, you once were, he uses these three phrases, and depending on your translation, it's going to say something similar. He says, you once were hostile in your mind. You were alienated from God, and as a result of that, you did evil deeds. But now, God has redeemed you. He has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and he's put you into his wonderful kingdom of his beloved son and future tense he wants to present every single one of you christians not unbelievers those that have put your faith in jesus he wants to present every single one of you to the father one day above reproach without blemish man That's the destiny of your life. If you're walking with Jesus, that's what Jesus wants to do with you. He wants to present you one day to the Father. And He wants to say, Jesus, uh, Father, look what I have done with these sons and daughters. Look at them. There's no one that can accuse them. They are living in in a way in their lives that they are above reproach because my spirit is at work within them. Look, Father, look at your children. That's what Paul is saying. That is the destiny that you and I have as believers. And I have this picture because my wife, likes Helen, likes to watch all these uh, period dramas. Any other ladies like to watch period dramas? All right. Okay. So here's the picture, ladies. Uh, the, the young, beautiful ones are getting presented to society. And what happens? There's a great ball. There's a great celebration. And all the beautiful, young, single ladies, they get Come up, and then the, the Duke or whatever says, Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Jemima, whoever, Honey Tree from Norfolk, and everyone applauds. And they present it to all the men, and all society says, How wonderful, how beautiful aren't those ladies? It's the same picture. Do you know that in eternity, one day, on the day of judgment, you are not going to be presented before God because of your sin? Your sin has been dealt with. But Jesus is going to present you before God one day as a son and a daughter, and He's going to say to God, I present Ant, I present Phil, I present Helen. Look at my son. Father, look at, look at your son, Father. Look at your daughter. Look at how much they have changed. Look how they have been transformed to be more and more like me. Can you see, Father, the great work that you have done in your son's life, in your daughter's life? That is your destiny, my friend. Come on. Yes, praise God. We can be a little bit black and Pentecostal in this church as well. Amen? That's what Pentecostals do very well. Do you know that preaching is a two-way process? It really encourages me when you, encu- when you agree with me, all right? <laughs> There's dialogue. There must be dialogue in preaching. It's not just monologue. And I want to say this to you. I've asked the guys to set up an email. We're going to set up an email on our church webpage called askanythingatforestownchurch.com, all right? Ask anything. Why? Because if you don't understand something that I've said, it's good that we have a dialogue. Are you with me? And we can't always ask questions in this forum, but that's why we have life groups. That's why I have small groups where people can ask questions. That's why we have men's breakfasts and ladies' meetings. So people can get together and ask questions and say, well, what do you really mean? What does that mean? What does the Bible say? Are you with me? And so in the next couple of weeks, we'll have this email set up. And if you want to ask anything, ask it. And we will do our best as a preaching team to answer. Is that okay? Why? Because preaching is not just a monologue. It's a dialogue. I digress. All right? So remember where we were. So I want to unpack that a little bit uh, more with you. What we once were, Paul says. Remember what you were. Good for us to remember what we were. Paul says that we were alienated. We are alienated. Can I say this to you lovingly? No one is born a Christian. All right? All right? You might be born in a Christian home. You might have grown up in a godly family. You might have not grown up in a, in a Christian home at all. That's more likely these days. You might have not been experienced to anything of Christianity. The Bible says this. Jesus said this, and I'm repeating His words. You must be born again. Who did he say that to? He said that to a guy called Nicodemus, a righteous man in the in the eyes of the religious community, a man who did the right thing. And he's asking Jesus a whole lot of questions. And Jesus says to him, "My friend, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's something that needs to be transformed on the inside of you. You are dislocated from God. You think that you are doing okay, but actually you're not. There's a dislocation. You are alienated from God, and you need to be reconciled to Him. And to be reconciled to Him, you must be born again." And I want to say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus in that way, I want to lovingly, kindly say to you, you must be born again. There's only one way to the Father through His Son. You must know Him. You must be born again, said Jesus. Paul is saying the same thing. You must be born again. There's a reconciliation that needs to happen on the inside of you. Once that reconciliation has happened, God can start moving. You must be born again. I answer your language is too strong. Don't put that on people. No, Jesus said, Jesus said, the Father of Eter- the, the, the Eternal One, the loving, beautiful Savior, He said kindly to Nicodemus, I say to you as kindly as I know how, you must be born again. Why? Because you alienate, we've all been alienated. What does alienation mean? Alienation means that we don't really like God's people, we don't really like His word. We don't really like His church before we know Him. Isn't that true? So many people are, I've heard this so many times, you know, I love God. I've got an idea. I want to be reconciled to God somehow, but His people, His church, oh, I've got no time for the church. That's how, what a hostile heart is, hostile to all things of God, to His family, to other believers, to righteous living it's hostile and please just so I can make this even more clear to you I'm not talking about I'm not talking about agnostic apathy you know our, our culture is full of agnostic apathy oh you know i and, and what, what that really means is people think they're actually a little, they're actually okay and they're just a little bit apathetic towards God. I haven't really made up my mind yet. Paul says this. He says, apathy is not the problem. The, The real problem is hostility. When you are apathetic, you are still hostile to God. In your heart, you are saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God. I don't really want to have anything to do with your people. So I might be expressed it with apathy, but really it's hostility in our hearts. That's what Paul says. Every single one of us, and here's the thing this is what Paul is saying you were like that one day in your past. You were hostile. And now he's saying you're no longer hostile because God has done an amazing work in you. So I want to say this to you kindly. You might have been an adulterer in your past, you might have been a murderer in your past. Paul was a murderer. Have you thought about that? He murdered the church. He killed people in the church. He took pleasure in persecuting those that followed Jesus. And Paul has this amazing revelation. He says, we once were like that, but now we have been reconciled to the Father. I don't care what your past is. I don't care all the, I've done some stupid things in my past. But you know what God says? You are, I, I've done a work in you, and that is all gone. The old is gone. The new has come. You're in my kingdom now. The kingdom of my beloved son, and I am changing you. And all of that is gone. And the new is gone. Man, it's good news. <laughs> That's why it's called good news. So don't worry. Hostility was part of our DNA. It's no longer our DNA. Paul says, because you were hostile, you were God's enemy. You know, we like to think that we are naturally God's friends. <laughs> we like to think that actually we're we, we kind of quite nice people. And if God could only get to know us as nice people, He would he, He'd, He'd be happy with us. <laughs> Paul, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, none of us in our natural state is a friend of God. None of us, not even for one moment. He's saying this, that I'm saying this to you this morning, not Paul. I'm saying this to you, that I think even outwardly religious people are not actually friendly to the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible doesn't reveal himself like that in legalism and condemnation and speaking badly of people. He doesn't. He reveals himself as a God of love and kindness and acceptance and peace. And so even religious people, they go around Persecuting others and saying, I'll kill you if you don't believe like I do, and our world is full of people like that. That is not reflecting the friend of the friendly God in the Bible that I know and that you know as believers. So Paul is saying by birth, we are naturally hostile to God, as he really is. We are naturally his enemies, we are not his friends. And he said it doesn't, he says it moves from your, your mind. And it starts affecting the way that you live. That's what he says. As a result of what you think, because you're hostile to God in your mind and in your heart, you start to do evil deeds. That's what Paul says. That's the natural expression. Comes out practically in how you live. And all of us were in a terrible state as men and women before we came to know Jesus. So I want to say this to you. God loves you. God loves all of humanity. God loves men and women. God loves the whole human race. Every tribe, every color, every language group. He loves them, every single person, with an eternal, passionate love that is unending. That's how God loves us. And at the same time, He is hostile towards us. How can that be? How can you say that, Ant? How can you say that God loves us eternally and at the same time, there's hostility? Well, God is hostile always to sin, always. Anything that is outside of His will, His, 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 His focus is unendingly bent on taking that thing and dealing with it and removing it because He is holy, He is pure, and He hates sin. And so wherever He sees sin, at the same time with a heart of absolute love and compassion, He is bent; His, His will is bent to dealing with that sin and removing it so that all things that are pure can be be before Him. So simultaneously, God loves absolutely. And simultaneously, God's heart is against anything that is sin. And so you and I have to face that square on in our lives. And that's a big problem because we can't deal with our sin. And then Paul comes to this great news. He says, he has... Other translations say, but God has reconciled in His own flesh in order to present you before the Father blameless and above reproach. I said this last week. I want to say it again. Notice God takes the initiative. In verse 20, he said, Paul said, it pleased God that the fullness of, His, of, of, of the eternal God would dwell in His Son. And because the fullness of God comes in the person of Jesus, He becomes the person that you and I were always intended to be, and He becomes the perfect sacrifice. God takes the initiative always with you and I. And so by His work, remember we looked at this last week, He made peace for us. Shalom, we looked at that last week. What does that incredible word mean? It means a complete peace with ourselves, with the world, with each other, a settledness in our spirits that is beyond understanding. It is His shalom, His eternal future for His beloved people. That's what Christ has made for us on the cross through His death. You can enjoy that shalom, that peace right now. And so Paul says, That in his body, this amazing thing takes place. In his body, in his flesh, Jesus is satisfying two things. One, our alienation from God and God's anger towards sin in our lives. Simultaneously, Jesus is dealing with both of those things through his death on the cross. He simply, in a profound way, Paul is saying that Jesus' death satisfies God's anger towards sin in our lives and because we were hostile and alienated simultaneously, we are re- reconciled instantly as we believe by faith. That's what happens on the cross. Amen. Glory! Uh, this, is in, this is Pentecostal mode now, right? Hallelujah. You, can, you can't say that. That's where you were. That's what Jesus has done. And now he presents us with the future. And he says, this is what God still wants to do for you. He wants to present you, the th- third little thing, he wants you to present you before the Father as a holy people. In other words, he wants every blemish in your life, everything that you struggle with in your life, to have been dealt with so that you are living, in a, in a sense, to a level of goodness that there can be no accusation against you. That's, I'm not talking about perfection. Uh, that's sometimes where people get confused. They think, well, we have to live perfectly right now. We have to be absolutely sinlessly perfect because of the grace of God. We can be sinlessly perfect. No, 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 Paul never says that. The Bible never says that. We are, we are in eternity. God is, through Christ, he, we, are, we are perfect before God in that sense. But we are still working out here on earth in these earthly bodies things that need to change as God shows us. So we are becoming more and more like his son. And he wants us to get to a place in our lives where God, one day in heaven, no one will be able to accuse us of anything. And Paul says, That is possible if you continue in your faith. In other words, you were saved by faith, you weren't saved by works. You are saved by faith, but you in your life, just continue walking by faith. And if you continue to walk by faith, God will one day be able to present you before His Father without blemish, saying, look at my son. Look at my precious son and daughter. Look at what I've done in their lives. My friends, can I put this to you? Young guys and girls, You know the motivation for keeping yourself sexually pure can be that you don't want to fall pregnant that you don't want to be embarrassed you don't want to have some sexually transmitted disease all these things those are those are okay reasons those are good it's good but the ultimate reason why you want to keep yourself sexually pure is because one day you're going to be presented by, the, by Jesus to the Father and you want to enjoy that accolade in your life where he says, look at what I've done in Prisca's life. Look, Father, at what I did in Prisca's life. Look at how her character's changed. She's been transformed. She was full of fear, and now she's strong. She believes in, 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 in you and your kingdom. She's serving you with all of her heart. She's kept herself sexually pure. God, let me present Prisca to you. And all the promises, all of the cosmos, every single Christian will applaud and say, well done, good and faithful one. Well done. That's why we persevere, not because we're just trying to do the right thing, because we're living for a heavenly reward one day, my friends. That's why you pay your taxes. That's why you live honestly, not for the accolades of men. Not not so Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You live a righteous life because you're living for eternal reward, not for what people see now. I'm completely lost my notes. Can you see? Thanks, Jess. The next one says the big if. And this is the big if. This applies only to Christians. Paul is not speaking about those that don't know Christ. And if you don't know Christ here this morning, I want you to know Christ by the time that you leave. You must be born again. That's the starting point. And then Paul says, when you are born again, God can start to work in you by the power of His Spirit. And Jesus wants to present us to the Father. And He says here, there's a big if that only applies to Christians. What does Paul mean when he says, if you continue in your faith? Well, there are three possibilities. If you continue being faithful and stable and steadfast and not swerving from the hope of the gospel, there are three possibilities that I see, and I want to just address them one-on-one. First, is Paul saying this? Is he saying, unless you reach this level of godliness, I'm sorry, it's um, a little bit uh, unclear. The first point, is Paul really saying that you've got to reach a certain level of godly living to be saved? Is that what Paul really is saying? Is he saying, unless you reach this level, one day in heaven, God is going to say, out from my heaven, you you don't belong to me because you haven't lived righteously. No, Paul is not saying that at all. He's already, he's already said a verse before. He said, you have been redeemed, Christians. You have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So why is Paul saying if? Well, he's certainly not saying it's got nothing to do with your eternal salvation. Nothing. Secondly, is Paul saying that really you're not, you can never be quite be sure if you're saved, that you only find out one day in heaven that you're saved? When you come to the Father and He says, mm, Yeah, I tricked you. You, oh, Henny, I tricked you. You thought you were saved, but you're not really. Out. Do you think God is capricious and evil like that? you think He's going to trick us like that? Of course not. So it can't possibly mean that. It is an altogether more wonderful third possibility. And that is, I've already said it, that He's talking about their final presentation before God the Father. He's encouraging them and saying, You've been saved. That's settled. You're out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But remember, you are going to be presented before the Father one day. And I want you to enjoy that accolade in heaven one day, that internal reward that you're going to enjoy. I want you to enjoy that. So live well. That's what he's saying. Live well. Holy and blameless, he wants to present us before the Father. And I want to put it to you that the Bible says that the day of judgment is a public event. It's not going to happen in private. It's going to happen before all, the entire universe, the entire cosmos. And the only thing that you and I will be judged for on that day is, is, is not our salvation. Paul is saying the righteous things that we have done, the way we've let God transform us, the things that we have done for Him, what does the Bible say? Jesus says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's what Paul is talking about. On that final day, you and I will have an accolade on our lives for the treasure that we have stored up by the way that we have lived. That's what Paul is saying. Do your works save you? No, they don't. Not at all. We are saved by grace through faith. Absolutely. But our works, what we do for Jesus on this earth, store up for ourselves treasure, accolades, the well done from the Father in heaven. And Paul is saying that's why you persevere. That's why, that's why you keep steadfast in your faith. That's why you don't swerve away from the hope of the gospel because one day you're going to hear the accolade. The great father of eternal, of eternal glory is going to say to you, well done, Alex. Well done. Come and enjoy your inheritance. And so, why do I say that? Well, there's a most puzzling scripture. I don't know if you've ever read this in 1 Corinthians 3. And I'm, I will be finished in five minutes. 1 Corinthians 3:15. says this, Paul talking again about that final day. He says, "If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved, but it's only through fire." You see, I believe that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about that final day when we will appear before God and He will be rewarding us for what we've done and how we've lived on this earth and all that we've done for, for Him. And, and Paul's, Paul, Paul's really saying in 1 Corinthians that there are going to be some Christians that are presented by, before the Father and they're going to be before the Father with a sense of loss. They're going to be aware that the reward they could have had is not as great as the reward that they are getting. That's what Paul is saying. You will be saved. You will get into heaven, certainly, but as one saved through fire, and you are not going to hear that accolade to the extent as what you could have. That's what Paul is saying. Your, your works will be burnt up, and you will suffer loss, though you yourself will be saved. And so I want to put it to you that we can, if we don't persevere, we can lose something of our inheritance. We are saved by grace. We're saved through faith. We have to persevere with faith. And in that sense, whatever new, thing, new challenge we have in our lives, we have to address that and take that on with faith in our hearts. Are you with me? And so I want to conclude by saying this. What then is needed from us? What is Paul saying out of these verses? What is needed from you and I in terms of how we live? Well, I'll put it simply. First, we continue in faith. So simple, isn't it? We continue in faith. We carry on believing. In every area of our lives, we carry on believing. And I want to say kindly to you, lovingly to you, whatever your age, the tests of faith never get less. (laughs) They are always new tests. Always new. When your first little beautiful baby is born, it's such an amazing thing, and you start enjoying this person and loving them with all of your heart. And you don't think that you can love anything more than you love your first child. Well, you love your wife more than anything, of course. And that's true. I'm not kidding. That's the first thing of the family, isn't it? Husbands and wives. Children, sometimes people get screwed up. And the children become the most important thing. And mom and dad, like down here, no, mom and dad are first. And then the children fit into what mom and dad have been called to do. No no one likes me, all right. But that's true. That's what the Bible says. You don't think anything it's not possible to love anything any more than your first child, and then your second child gets born, and your heart goes again. And you just love this person with all of your heart and all of your might, and all of your strength, and you start a journey as a family, and a whole lot of stuff happens, and you don't think you can cope anymore, and you don't think that you can have any more faith for anything, and every year, there's new challenges, new things of faith. Every year, and they get sick, and you have to exert faith, and they have problems at school, and you have to exert faith. You have to live by faith. My friends, this journey that you and I are called to every single step of the way in every area of our lives, whether it's our family, our work, whatever it is, your career, it is a walk by faith. And the tests keep on coming. And Jesus would say to you today, don't give up. Persevere. Persevere persist in faith the same faith that faith that saved you i I want you to take that faith and apply it to every area of your life why because i want to present you one day spotless before the father i want to say father look at ant look what i've done in his life he didn't get everything right perfect perfect but he got most things right and i can't accuse him for anything and and look what look at what you've done That's what he wants to do for every single one of us. So we simply keep on continuing, keep on believing. And secondly, I'll finish with this. Don't move away from the hope that is in the gospel. And I said this to you over the last couple of weeks, and so is Michael and all the other guys that have preached. There were people in the church in Colossia that were saying, Jesus is cool, but you really need this thing to to confirm what Jesus has done. You really need a great deliverance ministry to, to deliver people. I mean, the cross is okay. I mean, Jesus has done it. But you really need a deliverance ministry. And you really need the special kind of prayer technique. And you really need some Greek philosophy to add to what Jesus has done. And you really, really, really need some Jewish tradition as well. And when you put all those things together, then you complete the work that Jesus has done. And then it's good enough. Paul says, no. Paul says, Christ is enough. Jesus is sufficient. He is the great rescuer. You put your trust in Him, all things come into line. Every single thing. You don't need anything else in your life but Jesus. Come on. I believe it with all of my heart. Do I, do I agree we need medicine? Yes, we do. Do we need psychologists? Yes, we do. But they never replace what Jesus is. He is altogether lovely and sufficient in every way for the totality of your life, whatever you need right now. And my prayer is that if you don't know Jesus, you will know him right now, that you will be born again if you are born again, that you will continue steadfast in the faith that first saved you, persevering, not giving up, not shaking, letting your eyes be distracted. Whatever your challenge is, that you will walk by faith, that you will be presented one day. The promise of the Bible is, it says, if if you commit yourself to doing that, He will present you. You don't even have to worry. He will present you without blemish, spotless before the Father, and you will hear the well done of God over your life. That, my friends, is good news. That is the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Can we pray? Father, we thank you for the great hope that Paul showed us, the great hope of the gospel that Jesus, by his death, demonstrated, by his resurrection, demonstrated to us that you so loved us that you sent your Son, the fullness of God dwelling in a helpless babe, that in Him all things might be reconciled to you. Everything that is broken, everything that is lacking, restored to you. Ah, we thank you this morning for your great love. We thank you that you so loved us, that you reached into our lives and you took us out of the kingdom of darkness, you transplanted us forever into your kingdom of your beloved Son. Thank you for these simple things. Lord, my prayer for this church, every single man, every woman, every child, those that are not here today, my prayer, Jesus, is that that same faith that saved us, we would... Apply that to every area of our lives, whatever challenges lie ahead of us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us in the past, how you've always come through. And whatever challenge we face in the future, Jesus, we ask by your Spirit, help us to persist in faith. Help us to not give up. Help us to cling to the hope of the gospel. Lord, we put all of our eggs in, our ba- in one basket, the basket of your gospel, your good news. Help us to live with persistent faith. Help us in our moments when we struggle with sin. Won't you remind us by your spirit that your desire is that you would present us spotless before the Father one day. Help that to motivate us to live well, to live kindly, to live with compassion, to live in an outward way that loves others and gives ourselves away. Help us, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit. Everyone says, Amen. God bless you.